then I'm going to go into it. And that last song was very appropriate because of the title today. The title is The Way. Pure and simple, The Way. And um, John 14 and 6 says this. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus said to him, I am the way. Amen? So turn to your neighbor before you're seated and say, he's the way. You did so good. The way. What's the way to do it? What's the way to say it? What's the way to go? What is the way? What is really implied when you say this is that there is a correct way of doing things and there is an incorrect way of doing things. We always need examples, don't we? Eric, come on up here. Don't worry, if, if, if this was going to be bad, it would be Ernie that would be up here. I want you to introduce me once again. You didn't do it the first time, so do it this time. Talk loud. Thank you, everyone, for being here this morning. We are going to be blessed by the presence of the bishop here at Living Word Church. So, Bishop Meyer, can you come up and preach the word? Let's do that again. Let's do that again. Thank you for being here this morning. You know who he is. Let's just give it up for Bishop Myers. There's a right way. And there's a wrong way to do things. When I walked out the door, you thought, what's the matter with that schmuck? He's supposed to get up to the pulpit. So the right way was to do it. Here, there's another right way to do things too when you speak. My sister Carol's here. <laughs> Buddy, could you just move over? Remember, I'm the matriarch. Carol? When I look into your face, 
you could make a clock stop. <laughs> or, Carol, when I look into your face, you make time stand still. There's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. So we have to understand that the early believers experienced this concept with the formation of the church. We heard on Wednesday, and that's where I'm getting this from, I sat and I listened to an excellent lesson by Pastor Carlson. Yeah, give it up. It was an excellent lesson. And one little snippet is he talked about the way. The way was another name for the disciples of Jesus. Christians who at this stage of the church that was in development had converted to Christianity out of Judaism. The way is mentioned four times in Scripture. Acts 19 and 9 says this, But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Acts 19 and 23 says, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. Acts 24, 14 but this I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And then finally, Acts 24, 22. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So, one expositor notes that the designation of believers as belonging to the way referred to a distinctive moral and spiritual way of life. Significantly, this is in contrast, this is for you, Eric, to the Jewish halacha, or halacha. That's how they say it, halacha. A Hebrew term, and this is what it means, translated as Jewish law, although a more literal translation of it might be the way to behave or the way of walking. So it was the way of walking, the chalach. So what was happening was these things, the chalach, applied to the Mosaic law. But instead of these followers doing the chalach, they followed the way of Jesus. They followed his way. They understood that life was to be lived the way Jesus lived it. Meaning we are to imitate his actions. Opposition. There will always be opposition. It's no different back then than it is today. So the opponents of the way often refer to the members of them as the sect of the Nazarenes. Acts 24 and 5 says this, 
For we have followed this man, a plague, a creator of dissension among all Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And then Acts 28 and 22, But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. A sect. I remember when we came into the church in the 80s, there was a common statement made. Jerry, what was it? Come on, you always say it to me. It's a cult. I can't tell you how many times I heard that when I converted from Catholicism into the Pentecostal faith. You're in a cult. It's a cult. It's a sect. So we've got to understand that there is a way, a way in which we as believers must live. There's a phrase that's sometimes used. All roads lead to Rome. You ever heard that? It's kind of a cute saying. But people have adapted that saying to all sorts of situations. And when it comes to being saved, that cute little phrase does not fit. All roads do not lead to salvation. Are you hearing me? You've got to understand that. And you've got to notice something. Luke, who was the writer of Acts, and we translate the New Testament into Greek, said it is not a way. He didn't use a way. He said, but the way. The way. Christianity is not one of many ways to God, but is the way. The only way to God. Huh? Proverbs describes the approach of most people in the world declaring there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. A lot of times we get into communications with people and we're talking to them about God and they have their own philosophy and their own way of explaining how to approach God, right? How do you know you got the Holy Ghost? The sun broke through my curtains. The parakeet that didn't chirp now started to chirp. And I felt this warm embodiment come across me. And I knew I was filled with the Holy Ghost. That's wrong. You know, or you have other religions tell you the moment that you come into the presence of God and you accept him as your personal savior, you are filled with the Spirit and you are saved. That's wrong. Because there is a way, there is the way that Jesus made clear. Acts 4 and 12, and I didn't give that to you, but it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What is that name? Jesus! 
Jesus again said this. Emphatically, he declared it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Absolutely no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm your example. I'm your pattern. Make sense? So, even when the apostles encountered people like the demoniac girl, and I'm not going to go there. You don't have to go there. Paul and Silas were proclaiming the way of salvation. That demon knew that and said that. And then Apollos, in 1825, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. In Paul's third mention of his conversion on the road to Damascus, he declares this. 26.13, I saw on the way a light from heaven. In other words, on the way to persecute Christians, he encountered the way of salvation, the Savior himself. Stated another way, as Paul journeyed on his way to arrest members of the way, he himself arrest, was arrested by the one who alone is the way. What divine irony, huh? How many of you were arrested by the one that loves your soul and was shown the way? Can you raise your hands? Can you glorify God? Can you give testimony to God? Jesus warned this. He warned there were two ways. One broad, the other narrow. But only one way leads to eternal life. This is in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. There are so many people that want to take God at their definition. Bring him down to their level. It doesn't work that way. God is the bar. He raised the stakes. He said, if you want to follow me, you better climb up here. And you better do it the way I've showed you to do it. Amen? Now I want to transition here a little bit. I just want to transition because I want to follow a verse that will help us as Christians, all right? Because Matthew Henry said this. He made this observation. Christians sometimes were called people of the way because they looked on themselves as but on a way, not yet at home. So, we're still traveling, my dear brothers and sisters. We are still traveling, and the Lord knows how we should present ourselves. So it says this, Paul said this, and Romans is a wonderful book. It's a great book. It says this in Romans 12 and 1. I appeal, and this is in the Amplified Version. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties, 
all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? little story goes like this. Christian woman said, will you please tell me in a word what your idea of consecration is? Holding out a blank sheet of paper, the pastor replied, it is to sign your name at the bottom of this blank sheet and let God fill in as he wills. Not you filling in the things and saying, this is what I feel like I'm going to do. You're saying, here, I'm presenting myself to you, a living sacrifice. All right? So this verse confronts us with this statement. What must give, your, what must give yourself totally to God look like? What must it look like? So let me get a little teachy here for a moment. Okay? This is CCU, Christian Calvary University. All right? So you all got your, got your notepads, got your pencils. You didn't bring them, did you? So let me teach you right now. This verse, Romans 12 and 1, begins a new section of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11 emphasize doctrine. It emphasizes doctrine, whereas 12 through 16 focuses on practical matters. Although there are practical things in the first section and doctrinal issues in the second, some may feel a sense of relief to be through what will be a difficult teaching of doctrinal stuff. They may think, finally, we can get to the things that apply to my life, practically. Or maybe some who are doctrinal, like Eric, he wants to stay in that drudgy stuff that keeps you down and, and, and really makes your mind starts to think, no, don't worry, I've always called him a wonk. Didn't I? He was a wonk. He has notebooks, he has files, he has everything. I wish I was like him. Not really. So both views are out of balance. They're out of balance. To leap into a practical section without doctrine would be like building a house without a foundation. Okay? A solid foundation may not be exciting to look at, but without it, your house would not stand very long. Okay? On the other hand, to spend all your time on the foundation and never to build a house would be useless. The whole point of laying a foundation is to build an attractive place where you can dwell. Amen? In other words, sound doctrine must always be the basis for godly living. Now, you've got to understand the Mormons are reputed for emphasizing family life. They really are. 
They center everything around the family, which is a worthy emphasis. But they deny biblical truth. The person and work of Jesus, they say he's a prophet. We know who he is. Paul lays it out in Romans. And so they are not rightly related to God. They have a religion based on works. And they will be condemned at the judgment if they do not repent. And they do not come into this born-again experience and trust Christ alone for standing right at that white throne judgment. Their house has no foundation. On the other hand, I have known people, I've known pastors, theologically articulate. They can, they can say everything regarding great truths in Romans 1 through 11. But they are very unloving people towards their family, their wife, their children. And so, what good is the foundation of sound doctrine if you don't build on it love for God and for others? The world will mock the truth if we do not show it by the way that we live. So, Romans 12 through 16, Paul builds on the solid doctrine of chapters 1 through 11, showing us particularly how to live as Christians. And so this transitional place here in Romans 12, he sets forth our need to commit ourselves totally, completely to God. Okay? Not half-heartedly, but all the way. And then he goes on in the third verse, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We have to humble ourselves. Okay? That's what Paul is driving at in this transition. Now we've got to get to the point, okay, you've got this foundation. Now I want you to live the correct way. And he wants to spell it out. The entire rest of the 12th chapter, and you read it when you go home, spells out how we are to love other people. As a matter of fact, I think he's looking back on what Jesus said in Mark, the 12th chapter, when he was asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. On this, all the commandments hang. So we have to understand that. Amen? Amen. Why? Because you have experienced God's mercy. As such, you have to give yourselves totally to Him. Amen? Amen? That means we can't get crosswise with each other. That means we have to make up quickly with one another. We can't hold grudges. We shouldn't backstab. We shouldn't do things when we're in private that we wouldn't do in public. We have to live the right way. Why? Because God has extended His mercy to us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
So let's look at that. Number one, first of all, the motive for all Christian living is that you have experienced that mercy through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when he says, therefore, Pethra, and pastor, I know you're watching, why is that therefore, therefore? Therefore links this new section to the previous chapter, chapter 11. In one sense, therefore follows directly after Romans 11 and 36, and it says this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All right? So if all things are from God and through God and to God, then it follows that our lives don't belong to us. Huh? They belong to him. Everything about us belongs to Him. You might say, I didn't ask to be here. But God wanted you to be here. We've just been hearing our pastor talk about purpose. Purpose. What's our purpose for being here? Not just to take up space. We're here to do incredible things. For the kingdom of God. But there's another sense in which therefore relates back to everything that Paul has said in Romans 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11. He began by showing that we are all hopelessly and helplessly lost in sin. Oh, I don't like to hear that. You've got to hear that. He sums it up this way in Romans 3, 10 through 12. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That is our condition aside from Christ. you got to let that sink in. Before you repented, before you were baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, before you were filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, you were outside the will of God. I don't care how many prayers you think you might have prayed. I don't care what you think you've done. God is the one that makes up the rules as we live life in this world. He is the one that said, I am the way. I'm the way. You don't get to the Father but through me, through what I do. So God showed us his mercy and love primarily by the cross. He showed us how much he loved us. And it says this in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, but his compassions fail not. And here's the kicker. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I still don't understand when I tell people 
what the way of salvation is, how they can back away from it. How they can kind of skew their eyes to a different, different, I guess, program or channel. Because they need that salvation. They need that mercy of God. We all needed it, didn't we? So our lives must be different. Thankfully, mercy is what God is all about. It's, it's what He's all about. None of us can claim that God owes us salvation because of our good works or because of any other reason. We don't do everything to get ourselves in a right position with God. God loves you unconditionally, my dear friends. Each and every one of you. He loves you for who you are. Not for what you can do for Him, because what can you do for Him? What kind of gift do you give a perfect God? What do you give a person that has everything? I hate birthdays sometimes because I don't know what to give my wife. She's got everything now. You look in the kitchen, she's got everything she needs. You look in the bedroom, she's got everything she needs. What do you get for her? Cards don't do it. Candy don't work because I eat it all. So what, what do you give her? Same thing with God. What do you give a God that has everything? Yourself. To present yourself a living sacrifice. You've got to give yourself to God. And then when you call upon God, God hears you. He hears you, and then he'll begin to direct you. God then responds and begins to lead you through his benevolent mercy. Think about it, everybody. You're not just coming here today because you're fulfilling an obligation. You're coming here today because you realize that love has been shed in your direction. Love has been poured out upon you. Love has been given to you even when you weren't lovable. And boy, some of us can be pretty unlovable. Many years ago, Captain Shaw, a medical missionary with the Salvation Army in India, visited a leopard colony that his mission was taking over. He saw three men with shackles on their hands and feet, cutting into their diseased flesh. Captain Shaw's eyes brimmed with tears as he told the guard, please unfasten the chains. It isn't safe, replied the guard. These men are dangerous criminals as well as lepers. I will be responsible, said Shaw. They're suffering enough. After the shackles were removed, he tenderly treated the men's bleeding wrists and ankles. About two weeks later, Captain Shaw had his first misgivings about freeing these criminals. He had to make an overnight trip, and he hesitated to leave his wife and children alone. His wife insisted that she wasn't afraid. God was there. The next morning, she went to the front door and was startled to see the three former criminals lying on her steps. One explained, we know the doctor, go. We stay here all night, so no harm come to you. These men had experienced 
the mercy of the doctor. They were willing with love and gratitude to serve. To serve him. Everett Harris put it this way. Whereas the heathen is prone to sacrifice in order to obtain mercy, biblical faith teaches that the divine mercy provides a basis for sacrifice as the fitting response. The great motivation for us is that cross where Jesus hung and died. He's not there any longer, but it should be a sign and symbol to us that that mercy was extended to each and every one of our lives. And as such, in gratitude, we should serve Him. Each and every day, we should submit our lives to God. Each and every day, before we even speak a word, we should say, God, I commit myself to You. This is the day that You have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's by the mercies, the mercies of God. The basic commitment for Christian living is to give your body, listen to me, your body totally to God as a living, holding, and acceptable sacrifice. This is your reasonable, logical service of worship. God don't care how I look. God don't care how I dress. How would some of you approach the President of the United States? And don't tell me Joe Biden doesn't know what he's doing right now. How would you approach a dignitary? Would you come in tattered and ripped jeans? Would you men not be shaven, have a five o'clock shadow? Or would you Make sure that you were okay or splash on some cologne and put your bests on. Ladies, what would you wear? See, this is the picture of commitment to God. We commit ourselves. Paul was using a picture that was instantly recognizable by everyone in that day. But for you and I, it's probably foreign. The Jews were all familiar with the ritual of taking a lamb to the temple and watching the priest slit its throat, collect the blood in a basin. After the life had ebbed out of the lamb, it was placed on the altar and burned as an offering. The Gentiles also were familiar with burnt offerings to their pagan gods. But most of us, most of us here today, if all of us, have never watched an animal being slaughtered. Even if it's for a meal. Some have, some have not. We go to the supermarket. Everything is shrink-wrapped. We pull it out, and we don't think that something died so that we could have a meal. We didn't think that. Once in a while, we'll read about, like right now, we're getting close to Halloween. This is the witch's holiday, and you hear about 
animal sacrifices and things of that nature. And it gives us the heebie-jeebies to think that people would do that. We were preaching um, a while back in Colorado, and the pastor was talking to me, and he says, in the hills in Colorado, some of these college kids will sacrifice cats and dogs because they find their remains in some of these areas because there's covens out there, there's warlocks out there. So it gives you the heebie-jeebies. But this picture of animal sacrifice was behind Paul's appeal here to offer ourselves. Not as dead sacrifices, okay? I'm not asking you to kill yourself. But as living sacrifices to the Lord. An offering unto God that is pleasing, a sweet-smelling savor unto God. See, when you worship the Lord like you did in the beginning, when you were dancing and some of you were raising your hands, God derives pleasure out of that. Why? Because you're sacrificing yourself. Rather than just sitting with your face down, you've got a smile on your face and your hands are raised and you're telling God, thank you for life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being my Savior. I'll dance before you. You know, to dance in the Spirit, that's not in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that says dancing in the Spirit. Nowhere. We dance because we love Him. Buddy, nowhere in the Bible does it say we take off running. But you run because you're happy to do laps for God. As a matter of fact, go do a lap. Look at him. We are living sacrifices unto God. And as such, there's a way that we should live, that we should present ourselves the way. We are people of the way. You're not going to get me to do that. Well, somebody take a hat pin out and stick somebody in the butt so that they'll get up and do something. We have got to understand that when we get to heaven, when we get there, we are not going to be ourselves. Think about it. When you get there and you're at the throne, you are not just going to go, The Bible says you're going to take your crown and cast it at his feet and you're going to be doing all sorts of party moves. Why don't we get it right down here? Come on, party hardy for Jesus. Let me go through these real fast. What does commitment look like? First of all, this commitment is an act of the will. It isn't automatic. It's a decision that you must think about rationally and then make it. What does that mean? I hate making my bed. I hate it. If I lived alone and you came into my room, the bed would be messy. Why? I'm going to get in it anyway. Sorry. But because I love my wife, 
because I love my wife, not all the time, but because I love my wife, well, I don't. Sometimes I forget, right? Yes. Oh, no, I always love you. I wouldn't want to say that because I wouldn't get fed well. Um, Right, Kenny? Because I love my wife, I will make the bed. It's an act. It's an act of my will. I don't like to make the bed, but I do it because I love her. You get what I'm saying? It's an act of your will. Why do I come down to the front? You know, in the beginning when I came to church, I didn't like to go down to the front. I didn't want to be spotted out. But I came down because it was an act of coming against my will so that I could show God that I will praise him, even in front of groups, even in front of anybody. Why did I go into the waters of baptism? Not because I wanted to. It was stated in his word. It's because what he wanted me to do. So I went against what I will. Jesus even said it this way, huh? If this cup could pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You get it? That's a part of commitment. It is an act of the will. An act of the will. Next, this commitment is both initial and ongoing. In the present, when you make it, and when you read it, it's in aortist tense. That means right now. Right now. But then it's ongoing for us. Once you make that commitment to God, each and every day of your life, you keep that commitment. Kind of like when we marry. Stand there and we make a commitment to one another. Good times, bad times, sickness, health, rich or poor, till death do us part. The world has made a sham of that right now. But that is what a true commitment, it's ongoing. It's giving your life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice unto God. It's progressive. You understand more and more about the one that you love. And you join yourself. Three, this commitment involves your body. Your body. Romans 6 and 13 says this. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness. To God. Does it matter how you live? Oh, yes. Does it matter how you speak? Oh, yes. Does it matter where you go? Oh, yes. Does it matter how you dress? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We have a world of provocative people. I went to a, I went to a minister's thing yesterday, and he kept talking about YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. People go on YouTube all the time. YouTube all the time. I'll say Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. How many of you are on Facebook? Facebook this, Facebook that. What you need to do, instead of going on Facebook, get your face in the book. Amen. 
What it means, it encompasses not only your mind, but it encompasses your physical being. We won't look at things on media that are not right. We won't look at pornography. We don't lust after the opposite sex. We don't listen to off-color jokes. Our body includes our tongue, so we don't use our tongue to do negative things. We use it to praise God. We use it to show people how much we love God. See, this is all a part of committing your body to God. And then finally, this commitment is living, holy, and acceptable. It's a sacrifice. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 34, 35, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So it's living, it's holy, it's acceptable. So the sacrifice is living. Animal sacrifices were killed and consumed once and for all. The sacrifices of our body is ongoing and repeated day after day after day in this new birth. The sacrifice is holy. It is set apart to God. Your body, your life is set apart to God, set apart from sin. Does that make sense? And then it's acceptable. Just as the animals were without blemish, and that aroma went up to God, so should your life be without blemish. And your praise and your sacrifice should go up to God. I'm talking about the way. That's what I'm talking about this morning, the way. The responsibilities that we have. Why? Because this is your reasonable service. This is your logical approach to God. Why don't you stand? Several years ago, there was an article about Queen Mary who made it her practice to visit Scotland every year. She was so loved by people there that she often mingled with them freely without protective escort. One afternoon, while walking with some children, she went out farther than she'd planned. Dark clouds came up unexpectedly. So she stopped at a nearby house to borrow an umbrella. If you will lend me one, she said to the lady who answered the door, I will send it back to you tomorrow. The woman didn't recognize the queen and was reluctant to give this stranger her best umbrella. So she handed her one that she had intended to throw away. The fabric was torn in several places and one of the ribs was broken. The next day, another knock was heard on the door. When the lady opened it, she was greeted by a royal guard who was holding in her hand an old, tattered umbrella. 
The queen sent me, she said. She asked me to thank you for loaning her this. For a moment, the woman was stunned. Then she burst into tears. Oh, what an opportunity I missed, she cried. I didn't give the queen my very best. We have an opportunity every day. Every day. To give the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords our very best. We have church services and we call people down to the, to the front. Why? Because it's an opportunity to, to give to Jesus Christ your very best. That's why we do it. It's not just another day. It's a moment in time that you can present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, perfect will of God. God wants you. He wants your life. He's the way. He showed you what it was all about. It's time for us to emulate that life and be like Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to open this up. Why don't you come down? Why don't you offer yourselves to God a living sacrifice? Father, I come before you this morning thanking you. Lord, because you showed us, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God, it's synonymous. Lord, with our lives. We need to follow that way. We need to keep that truth. And we need to live the life. God, so humbly accept our sacrifice today of praise and worship. As we open our hearts and our lives and our mouths to you. God, be our loving Savior as we are your children. Lord, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The more